Hello, everyone. Welcome to Affirmative Interaction. We are back for another week of exciting topics of just friends really uh, hashing it out and uh, talking about things that are happening in the world. We have myself, Jordan. We have Adrian, Michael Nixon, Logan Stout, and Garrison Hayes. All fine men. It's just us this week, but we hope it's enough for all of you at home watching. Um, we're just going to start and get right into it and see how everybody's doing. How are you guys coping? What are, let's say, let's do this. What's one thing you're doing to help pass the time, to help cope with the quarantine? Adrian, you want to start us off? Yeah, video game. Can't go wrong with that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can't go wrong with it. Can't. A lot of Star Wars watching, whether it is the yes. prequels, which the first two are horrendous, but we don't need to go into that. Um, mm -hmm. or the TV shows, I love, love Clone Wars. Any, anything Star Wars, you've got me, as long as it isn't the first week prequels, but we're good. Yeah. 100%. I have to say the same, I've been doing the same thing, a lot of video games. Um, Mine and I have been able to just watch a ton of TV shows, which has been nice. But I'm actually, and it reminds me, I know someone in this chat got a video game system specifically for quarantine. You may come out of hiding and, and uh, reveal us reveal to us who this is. Yeah, let, let you let your members know what you're doing when you screen in their phone call. <laughs> no, let them know. Let them know. Let them know. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Honestly, I it's a I have a couple quarantine purchases. Um, <laughs> you, stum you stumbled over that intro a little bit, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, facts. Um, yeah, I got I got a PS4 um, for the quarantine. I thought that it would be like a month, maybe a month and a half. So I was like prepared. Take it back at a month's time. Buy a second one, basically like a rental. You know, I was trying to rent it, but we've been in this joint for a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> I anticipated. Honestly, I enjoy it. I this is the first. Uh, game console I have bought since maybe 2005 or six, and so I I really what console was that, Gerson? I got a Dreamcast. Um, oh, oh, uh, oh, wow! I got a game in Q. 2005. I got a GameCube. I got a GameCube. Game okay, okay, okay. I got a GameCube, and then classic. Yeah, it was cool. I liked it, but I never got into it. My brother's way more into it than I am, so I just. Mm. I just never had time, never really had much of an interest, honestly. Hmm. But now I'm doing it. So, But truthfully, I don't play it that much to even, for it to even count. Honestly, I don't need help passing the time. It's so much to do that, honestly, I'm like, I don't have enough time to do the stuff that I need to do. So I've looked up and I'm like, whoa, it's like almost the end of May already. I feel like we just yeah. got it. So, yeah, that's facts. That's so weird. It feels like quarantine has actually sped up some aspects oh, of life. Instead absolutely. of slowing April, it down. Bro. April just went by like that, bro. It was insane. Mm -hmm. Mad insane. <laughs> yeah, there was that point where you were kind of feeling like, when's this going to be over? Because you didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so every day you were just like, ah, this will be over soon. It's like a Sunday right. where your Sunday just gets away from you and you're like, oh, it's 5 p.m. I guess I need to eat dinner and go to work. But it's like every single day. I, mean, I know dad and I, like when I left, because I'm back in California now, 
the other day, I was like, hey, dad, I'm going to miss like wasting away half of our morning watching HGTV with you. Because like, it would just like be sitting there. I'll go up and see what he's doing, grab a cup of coffee. And all of a sudden, like, it's like noon. I'm like, should we go work on the bathroom or like do something? <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, I fell asleep. And, you know, this thing. But for me, passing the time. I mean, I just got back to Berkeley yesterday. The flying experience was interesting. Planes were pretty empty, probably maybe like, um, I don't know, half full, five eight, something like that. Uh, really? The flights were chill. Yeah, it wasn't bad. The airports were- I heard ma masks are mandatory now. For American, my, my flight was 64 bucks, which I was thankful for, and they just, re they just required a mask. I watched one guy have to turn around and go find one because they were like, you, you, you're not going to be able to get on your plane. And so they told him that they were giving them away in a different department, but he was he stormed off to get that free mask. So mad. Oh, and I was like, oh you're, ah, I have to get a mask. I'm like, yeah, you have to protect other I'm, people. I, I, thought yeah. American, I thought this was American Airlines. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> <Russian Airlines. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> <Russian Airlines. laughs> Yeah, so, but today, woke up, got, went to some Trader Joe's. I, it was funny because, you know how normally you do the, do I have my keys, my phone, my wallet thing? I got in my car and drove somewhere, and I was about to go into this, my favorite California, I know I shouldn't be saying, I, was, I went to a donut shop that I love, that I had missed for two months, so I went back and it said right there, like, masks, and I was like, oh, I forgot my mask, so I had to go back home, and now you have to do the mask check where you go everywhere, where you're like, keys, wallet, phone. And you have to take your mask too. So I feel that. Facts. Yeah. But it's chill. I see you. I see you touching the front of your mask there, Garrison. Uh, <laughs> against protocol, but whatever. It's <laughs> <laughs> all good. Hope that works out. Them. Wait, where do you get these uh, fabric masks? Oh, you know what I'm saying. It's, it's an exclusive drop. Supreme uh, black market. That's what he gets. Who's the drop? Nixon coming to black. Honestly, one of the coming to black. There it is. I don't wear a mask because I'm free. So, what does that mean, bro? We out here. This is this is actually made by my mother-in-law. Shout out to her. You can see the little label on it. I'll put it on here. I'll break protocol Yo, so you can see the My label. dad actually made some. Like, that's yeah. It's very clutch when All you right. can make one. I'm just reading off it. It's very dope. Bro, can you? Can someone Unique hit me with fashions. the? Oh. Yeah, she she's like a real seamstress and all that. So, did she, did she make them? Can I buy one? Yeah, you can. You can buy one. I'll set. I'll drop a link. I'll drop okay, a link good. in the comments. Actually, I should do that. That'd be dope. That's a lot. That's pretty clutch. That piqued my interest. <laughs> A oh, super fact. <laughs> so I did end up buying this really. If you guys can't tell, we clearly are just shooting the breeze. Like we have agenda items. I promise we have things to talk about. We do. We do. I, I did buy this this very, very cool mask. I thought it was uh stylish. It doesn't fit my face. So there's that. Hey, what brand is that? This is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't work. <laughs> literally, like it's point. <laughs> <laughs> this was one of the ones that people were like, "Oh, like they were like super sold out and stuff." Air pop masks by Xiaomi. Um, I thought oh. it was. I thought oh, I was, you saw that's an Instagram ad. I think I saw that. I thought I was about to flex on them. That's <laughs> very very wrong. <laughs> that's pretty funny.
How about you, Mike? That could be a flex, bro. Um, so how, how have I been coping? I mean, it's, you know, it's been all right, man. Actually, no, it hasn't. <laughs> it, hasn't been, it hasn't been all right, man. It's, it's week 10. Um, <laughs> I know the week. <laughs> I, I know the week. I'm going to keep you updated on these weeks every week. Um, Mackenzie said peanut butter and Nutella. Clearly, ch- thanks for joining us, Mackenzie. Thanks for <laughs> Thanks for saying something on topic. Whatever we agree on, he'll be like, nah, the opposite. Yeah, right. yeah I didn't know Facebook had an app on Android. But anyways. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's what we uh, do though. You know, I've I've been doing okay, man. I've been so doing ready. I've been doing a decent amount of reading for sure. I have this thing with books, and I know I've I've dropped a lot of books for my PMIs. But I'm gonna let you into a little secret. I have this thing where like I serially do not finish books. Like I'll just read like the first couple chapters and maybe jump around here and there. If I hear something good about a chapter, I'll jump into that. Um, so I'm actually I've committed to a book. I think I showed the Alchemist like two weeks ago. I said I'm gonna get through this whole book, and you kind of have to because it's a narrative form, it's a story, and um, you know I'm actually excited to figure out what's gonna happen. And so that's been. That's been a good escape. There's there's been some interesting nuggets in there. It's one of those things where you're underlining like every other sentence, I feel like, because it's just a profound uh, piece of information or a thought or something like that, which allows your mind to kind of, you know, think about a different time and space where you're not confined to your couch or your living room or whatever the case may be. So that's been a very, that's a practical thing that I've done is really trying to Buck the I'm I'm still jumping around some different books. Like there's some different ones that I'm kind of like slowly making my way through. But that's the one that I've said. All right, I'm going to commit to this for leisure because uh, I had to do a lot of required reading for for law school, and I fell out of love with books. And so starting to get back into it, and so that's been helpful for sure. Yeah, you're you're on mute. Um, yeah, yes, I'm here. I am. Uh, I'm not a bit. I'm not a boomer. I promise. So good, good, glad everyone is doing well. Um, we're we're going to shift gears now and talk about something that is kind of spicy, if we're being honest, and that is uh, Obamagate. I kind of feel like even saying it is just giving it way too much legitimacy. But Logan, please just give us a lowdown of what exactly that is, because we're dying to know. Well, I think, I think first and foremost, I appreciate that intro, Jordan, but Obamagate is just not real. Uh, I think that's like probably... If you're gonna take anything away from our conversation, know that it is made up. Uh, this is just a narrative because Trump has essentially lost his mind. Like the, this mm. whole situation came out. Uh, reality is, is Trump is facing, I think throughout his administration, he's faced like a few different times where he's gotten pushed back for maybe a few days, maybe a week. He's at, if we're at week 10, he's at week 12 of pushback from this pandemic where it's every day, the media, people, as he would label as like fake news, I've been telling him he's doing this whole thing wrong. So he's finally found a narrative that he thinks gives us enough credibility to discredit someone else. Uh, and he's called it Obamagate. I mean, we saw it 
last week where he went at that Chinese American reporter and basically told her to, to ask China where the virus came from, this kind of thing, he, because he's unhinged. But I think it was Mother's Day, he started to tweet and retweet lots of tweets about this Obamagate, which is hilarious because when reporters ask Trump what is Obamagate, he refuses to answer it. But um, I've done a little bit of digging and found out like kind of maybe the gist of what it is. Um, but Trump described it as it's been going on for a long time. Some terrible things happened. And when someone asked what the crime was, he said, you know what the crime is. And so <laughs> per, per usual, Donald Trump is giving us no information oh, because man. yeah, he's a child. Um, but essentially what happened is after Trump was elected in 2016, the Obama administration found out or came to the assumption or uh, it wasn't even an assumption it was a studied reality that, that russia interfered with the election now you can say what that looks like or what that means um, but basically russia put out information into our media and into our lives to make us be believe untrue things and the obama administration saw that and said hey this is problematic we don't like that you did this so let's sl slap some sh sanctions on russia and in typical form, Obama was like, hey, this is a bad thing. And Russia didn't respond. And so when you sanction another country, usually that country has some sort of statement or retaliation. And Obama was like, yo, why hasn't Russia said anything? And in turn, Russia, uh, Obama decided, let's dig into why they're not responding and let's understand the story a little bit more. So he basically, basically any Russian intelligence that comes into America, we record it. So if a Russian... Um, ally of any government form works and they call someone in America, we're wiretapping that. So um, they're not wiretapping us. So if they were to call me and ask me about it, they wouldn't know that they're calling me, but they would know that they're, they're calling from Russia and who's calling me. So basically someone from Russia, a Russia ambassador calls um, an American and says, hey, what about these sanctions? And the American basically tells this Russian ambassador, hey, don't worry about the sanctions. When Trump gets into office, we're gonna get rid of these sanctions and it's all gonna go away. And so uh, Obama hears about this and, and we're like, wait, we need to find out who this American is that's just telling them not to worry about it. And so they do some digging and they find out that it's Michael Flynn. Michael Flynn, who's about to be the national security advisor to the president, is making statements saying the sanctions by one administration are going to be gotten rid of by the next administration. So basically Obama tells Trump, hey Trump, don't hire Michael Flynn, he's bad news, this isn't a good idea. And Trump's like, I'll be the judge of that. Anyways, Mike Pence goes on Meet the Press and ends up telling them that Michael Flynn told Russia that they're gonna get rid of the sanctions, which they, they uh, it's kind of still up in the air on what, what happened with that from what I understand. But basically then Trump has to fire Michael Flynn and so now the these like people that still are allegiant to Trump but have stabbed Trump in the back are like trying to come out and say Obama did something illegal even though Trump and Pence and actually this what was it last week uh, Trump asked um, Lindsey Graham to bring Obama into the Senate and question him and Lindsey Graham was like we're not going to do that he didn't do anything wrong and so like Lindsey Graham if nobody knows he's like one of the biggest Trump supporters if Lindsey Graham is telling Donald Trump we're not going to question the the most recent president besides you we're like there's no reason to and so Obamagate is literally it's not real like it doesn't it, nothing happened illegal but this is another thing that Trump does to get his base to support him blindly because nothing um, happens 
I don't know. Sorry, I was trying to read this comment at the same time, but it's okay. just—it's just not—it's just, not, it's just not essentially real. But yeah, that's kind of the gist of it. So that's kind of what we're dealing with. It's kind of fun to watch Trump squirm a little bit because of how terrible he's handling everything as he now takes drugs that are not re- recommended to be taken. Um, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a good, thorough ex- explanation, and honestly, probably one of the clearest explanations I've heard of this farce um, to date. I mean, at the end of the day, we he won't bring charges against the president and, and uh, President Obama because there's no crime committed, and mm-hmm. and honestly, conservatives are are interested in anything that could potentially undermine the legacy of Barack Obama. And uh, it's really sad to see. Yeah, this is just, go ahead, Jordan. Oh, I'll just say real quick, this is just another, I think it's a continuation of what conservatives were doing with the, with the birther movement or hoax or whatever you want to call it. It's just a new iteration. Trump is just seeing that this COVID situation is not going well for him in terms of how it's making his leadership look. And he's trying to find the closest distraction possible. And he clearly didn't like what Obama was saying during these graduation speeches, which were fire from what I've heard from it and what people have told me. Um, he didn't like the smoke that Obama provided. So this is how he's clapping back. Yeah, I, and I think that the danger that I've seen when I tried to make sense out of out of the story. If you were to go to uh, on YouTube to a, a a Fox channel, whether it doesn't matter which network or or Fox and Friends or or Kennedy, any of them who are um, covering this in in some capacity, the comment section is full of Republicans and conservatives that are saying things like, it's time we bring these people to justice, it's gone too far. And that I feel like is probably when it really hit how dangerous, uh, uh, you know, like we kind of touched on misinformation and disinformation to really say that like, listen, you all have no idea what's being told to you right now. And that I think is, and I was listening to a podcast that was really framing how uh, when you kind of give your loyalty to a group of people, it kind of removes any critical thinking. Like you, the, the idea of truly trying to process the legitimacy of this point that they're trying to get across, you don't feel the need to do it because all of your trust is, is already given to them. And, and now they're kind of at a point where it doesn't matter what information this network puts out, or it doesn't matter what foolishness that Trump tweets, they are convinced that it's true. And, and the, the, the process of fact checking is something that they don't even assume to be something that is imperative before believing this thing. It, it, it's gone to the point where the moment they say anything, the supporters are going to believe it so and that i i feel like it, it is a level of reality that i don't know if we can uh come back from for that particular demographic no that's a fact that's a fact i i really don't you know one of the things that kind of stands out to me and honestly shout out to sandy i, I know we had a comment here from from larry feldman but shout out to 
um, his wife. I saw her in in, in a comment uh, earlier, maybe it was over the weekend, I think, where she was responding to someone um, who, you know, Trump clearly, Trump is so incompetent and his supporters <laughs> will do whatever it takes to like deflect away from that, including coming up with this like bizarre and, and just like completely incoherent conspiracy theory that Obama did something illegal. He did not. And it, like, it, like it's so clear that he did not. But but Sandy in a comment, she talked about how Trump is so obsessed with undermining any and every aspect of the Obama legacy. Yeah. Willing. I mean, we're how many people have died from COVID-19 in America? Like we're at 91,000 U.S. deaths. All right. And, and, mm. and the thing is. The thing that is so crazy is like we're we're I'll come back to that. But we're at 91,000 deaths that were all avoidable, like not maybe not all of them, but a significant portion of them were avoidable if Obama, if, if Trump wasn't so obsessed with undermining Obama's legacy to the point mm. he disbanded a pandemic response committee or team. Yeah. Just to try to un just to get rid of any vestiges, any any images whatsoever <laughs> of Obama, mm -hmm. he's willing to do anything. And it's ridiculous. It's really, really ridiculous. And, and you know, like he, like these people are living in their own fairy tale land, where even you see ninety one thousand deaths, and they're like, well, some of those are, they're calling any death if a person has COVID nineteen, any death whatsoever is like you know counted. It's like, uh, yeah. okay, let's say half of those. Is that enough for you? Like let's yeah. say 50%. Let's say a quarter of those 91,000 deaths are actual fully COVID-19 deaths. Are you are you comfortable? Are you comfortable with, with 22,000 deaths? Like yeah. does that make you feel like, okay, now this makes sense? It, it's crazy to me. Um, yeah, I, that's all I have to say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you all have said it so well. And I want to piggyback a little bit on Jordan's point as well in, in thinking about the the birther controversy because that's actually what I thought about uh, the most and I think mm. it was Vox did a really good article in which they talked about some of the connections and correlations to um, the, the whole birther controversy that I mean that Trump stirred up. I think sometimes people it's so it's interesting dude it's like you know Trump has been connected to and involved with so much so many lies, so much disinformation, misinformation, mm -hmm. you know, alternative facts, all this other stuff that he's starting this new commission called Truth Over Facts, which <laughs> explain someone explain that. No, no, you can't. It's just like, bro, what what are you, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And um, can we get a laugh? It's just like, <laughs> it's, what are we doing? And so in that in that Vox article, um, one of the things that I'll, I'll just say, read a brief paragraph from it. Uh, the author said there that Trump played a major role in popularizing birtherism and then rode a wave of, of white resentment to the White House is not an accident. Birtherism was proof of concept that a more vulgar politics of white backlash could find a real audience in the GOP. Evidence that the party was waiting, waiting to be captured by Trump's longstanding brand of racial demagoguery. And I, I just really keyed in on that proof of concept part. It's like, 
he was he was almost test driving back in 08. Like, okay, can yeah. I can I exploit yeah. this group of people? Can I exploit this machine when he and his wife and we people often forget about the fact that his wife Melania was on Fox News too with this with this birther nonsense, you know, when when well, I, I don't want to get into her status, but that's that's her business. But um you know, they were promulgating this lie over and over again. And it was like, he kind of filed that away and said, okay, there is a whole segment of the population that not, because it's not just Trump. There's a soul, there's a whole segment of the population that wants to delegitimize not just what Obama has done, but the fact that he's American. They, they want to delegitimize the fact that he's even a part of the country because to many of them, we're not all a part of the same country. You know what I mean? And and, and, it, and it's it's fed into even, you know, we talked about Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor last week. I mean, all, all the ways that we perceive these things, it's like you don't perceive us to be on an on an equal playing field or to have, um, you know, equal access to the same kinds of things. You know, if I'm just this, you know, this other that has somehow figured out how to hack the system then any effort to delegitimize me or to take my life even now is justified because of the fact that I didn't belong here in the first place, you know? And so yeah. it's all continued to be rooted in that. And, and Trump is just the face on yep. a sadly significant movement of people that want to erase other groups of people entirely from uh, reality. And, um, and it's sad. Yeah, no, that's like a really great point. Um, I think Trump met a lot of backlash early on in 2015 and 2016 when he was running, when he would say outright racist things mm -hmm. that he learned that all of the racists in the United States hated the black president. And so if he just continues to go after the black president, then he'll get that group to stay aligned. It's almost like Trump is just the bus of racism and Obama is the easiest way to hate something, uh, but yeah. not actually be very clear as to what that dislike is. And it's, mm. I mean, the Obama, whether it's Obamagate or, or what on and so forth, uh, it, these are just a group of people that Trump knows he has to try to keep as happy as possible until November. And so he just says things about whatever he can, you know, uh, you know, someone brought up that we, they try to do anything to ruin Obama's image. Literally, Trump has decided, I think it came out today, that he won't reveal Obama's image, the painting created of him in the White House, because, not because, I don't even think it's because Trump is like, oh, I hate President Obama, which he does, but it's because my fan base, my supporters hate President Obama. This will mm -hmm. give me more traction and more comfort with them to be like, yeah, they kept that. You know, we're going to talk about it maybe later. They kept that N-word out of the White House a little bit longer. Like, that's the narrative that these people push constantly towards the president. And Trump is just the vehicle that drives that hated hate narrative. And I think, I think any logical human being could look back and be like, wow, they don't even like Trump as much as they just like the hatred of the group that Trump is, like, pushing hatred for. And it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just pathetic to watch Yeah, because I always like presidents and I always like picking my presidents because they seem brighter and smarter than me. And I don't understand how a Trump supporter can be like, wow, this person is so much, so much more intelligent than me. That's a, 
that's like the, some of the things that I struggle with sometimes even, um, uh, Ben Carson was a great example when I looked up to him my whole life, but then when he got into politics, I was like, uh, maybe you don't know quite as much about this topic, surgery, brain surgery, amazing, but this topic and people follow Trump and I'm like, you think this man is saying things that uh, I can rant on that all day, but yeah, it's, it's just ugly. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely want to touch on something else that, that Nixon kind of pointed out to you, which is that the, the initiative that Trump started all the way back, you know, in, in 2008, 2009, 2010, in starting lies about uh, where Obama was from, his birth certificate, demanding that he send it and whatnot. I, I remember watching um, a, a, a video on Vox when it, when it comes to uh, the idea of, of fact checking, when a lie is kind of posted out there and they use a number of examples of things that have happened uh, in the last four and a half years. And they talk about how fact checking can only go so far when it comes to uh, removing back the damage that was done by that lie. And, and, and they, they go on to, to talk about how even after someone is given that information of, of, of truth, when that fact is presented to them, or even when on a national level where you have very important figures presenting the fact check to the American public, in some way, that information still does not register to them. And, and so on, what, what, what they're basically saying is even after the facts have been brought to the public, so many people still go on believing that lie, even after they've been told this new information that is presented as truth. And so the, the, the fear that I think our country is really going to have to wrestle with is what are we going to do after Trump has left office, but all of the misinformation that he spread still remains in the thoughts of so many American people? And, and it's something that I don't know if we've really had a chance to process the, the permanent effects that the lies that our current presidency has brought to our country, where now you are going to have an entire group of people where no matter what information is given to them, they've been convinced of constant lies. And it's like there, there's no way to come back from that because they're stuck in that place. Well, that's the whole point of it, though. That's how you had to do it to make America great again. To get back to the past, no. you had to lie to people. Like, because the past, our, the history of our nation is a lie. It's rooted in the lie that certain people don't belong here. And Trump brought it back. Yeah. And so he had to do that through the media. I mean, yeah, it's just part of it. Yeah, and, and as for where it's going to end up, it's going to end up on the Trump News Network after he's hopefully... <laughs> Out of here. There's, there's reporting that that was his plan all along. I mean, you can believe or not that reporting or not that his whole running in 2016 was to set up like an alt Fox News Trump News Network. And oh, I love that. How much? I'm subscribing early. Will, will we get more Alex Jones? Is that, is that what we're being told? Oh, he's, he's going to be high on the list. Oh, Every God. day firing certain reporters that didn't <laughs> mean he's like, you're fired. Just like yeah. the end of the evening firing. Yeah. Uh, 
Oh, very good, very good. Guys, I also am just super curious to see who is going to be riding. Hopefully Trump loses in November, but I'm interested in seeing who's going to be riding that misinformation, disinformation wave after he's gone. Um, I hope it's nobody, but I wouldn't be surprised if this energy is continued through another entity, another politician. His but children. that is his children. But that is in November. Um, and right now... Something recently came to a conclusion that I heard was pretty good. I have to admit, <laughs> I'm not a genuine sports looker, but I have four other guys that are, and it was the Last Dance documentary series that has been uh, being that has been aired on ESPN. It concluded um, a few days ago. And what are your thoughts? Please tell me, because like I, I, you know, imagine I've heard nothing about this. What makes this thing so great? Convince me to watch it. Oh man, I mean, you're named after Michael Jordan, and you didn't even watch The Last Dance. This is, this is, this is crazy, bro. This is, you, you're forsaken your your first love. It's crazy. Uh, uh, yeah. So so Last Dance. Um, it ended this past Sunday, and. I'm actually shout out to Claudia Allen. She reached out to me. Uh, I'm going to write a little article for message uh, sort of on some reactions and things like that. And so um, I'll have more time there to sort of expound and things of that nature. But um, just to get us started, of course, last dance for those of you who are not genuine sports lookers like our, our friend, the namesake Jordan Smart. And that's fine. Everybody, everybody has their own interests. It's all good, you know. Some people like bad shows like Seinfeld. Some people like good shows like Curb. So it's all good. What's anyway, right now? Anyway, but what if you like both? But what if you like both? Facts. Uh, you know, you hit or miss. You know, broken clocks right twice a day. You know, so uh, you know, Last Dance it just included, and I think the thing that was really interesting, and you know, I have a lot of thoughts, but the one I'll share initially is that um, I, I listened to an a um interview with um the document the main documentarian and he was talking about the fact that um mj actually was really intentional about making sure that this wasn't just a michael jordan documentary now of mm -hmm. course i mean he's a global icon you know he's you know i i guess somewhat arguably the greatest of all time you know whether or not you believe that he's up there for you um, and he was, I mean, global icon, all this different stuff. I mean, you could make, you know, a, a huge, um, you know, sure. just MJ doc. And the thing that the filmmaker said was that uh, MJ basically said, you know, if you want to make the comprehensive MJ documentary on like his whole life, which would include obviously like fatherhood, um, you know, marital issues, things of that nature, whatever the case may be, his upbringing, he said, you can do that after I'm dead. So he he actually doesn't want there to be like a full-blown MJ doc until he's dead and gone, it's, you know, according to him. So I thought that was interesting. Um, of course he doesn't. <laughs> well, yeah, because, I mean, there's there's nuance to that story, you know what I mean? And um, yeah. But I think he said that he's not really necessarily afraid of that nuance, but he, as, as big of an icon as MJ is, you know, weirdly, he doesn't always enjoy being the center of attention, which I think comes yeah. across in sometimes his, his abrasiveness or his reclusiveness or or really just the, the fact that it took them years to 
get the green light from him to release a lot of this footage. They took this footage during the 1998 season. You know, that's, you know, that's mad long ago. It's over 20 years ago. And it's just now being made, you know. And so I love the fact that we got these little peeks into different folks' lives. I love in the last two episodes um, the, the deep dive into Steve Kerr's life and some of the some of his story, a lot of the stuff I just had no idea about. I didn't know about stuff with his dad and all that different stuff. Um, we've talked about previous episodes and, and previous episodes of ours. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just really like the fact that um, they, they um, you know, tried to give us as much as they could, but of course there was so much more in it. Um, so I think overall, just a really well done, done doc. I'm, I'm sad it's over. I could do for, at least four to six more episodes for sure. Uh, easily. Yeah. Um, and with the quality, yeah. it was easily four to for six. Sure. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I'd love to hear from how, how you guys felt about it as it concluded as well. Yeah, I loved it, man. I, I was moved. I mean, I, I think I just love the NBA so much that seeing basketball had me like super emotional. It's like this time of year, I'm normally so invested in the playoffs and like mm-hmm. ah, all there. So it was amazing. Um, yeah, it, really, it, was, it was really amazing. And I honestly, like I've, I've tweeted this, you know, I really was a little too young to fully appreciate Jordan as a bull. Like I remember little things here and there. Of course, I remember mm-hmm. some games, but it, I, I didn't have an appreciation for the game. In 98, I was eight years old. So, like, it, seeing it now with, like, everything I know and how much I love Kobe and how much, you know, I love just the game in general, it, it just – it makes sense. I, I could feel myself, like, l- falling in love with MJ as a, as a basketball player just off of the mentality, the tenacity, the fact that he was, like, going for it. And I said – and I said this on Twitter – in some ways, I could understand. I felt like I was almost prepared. I was groomed to love MJ's game by way of Kobe's game, which I, I grew up just like immersed in, like loving everything about Kobe. Yeah. I see the, yeah. I absolutely see the comparison and the parallel, and it makes oh, sense. Yeah. Many people are like Kobe is so so much so like informed, and and he he's like he's like a mirror image of of MJ. You know, I, I could see how people were saying that. All of a sudden, so it was really cool for 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 me. I, I I miss it already. I was telling my wife, I was like, "Dang, like, what are we gonna watch on Sunday nights now?" <laughs> yeah, that's fair. No, I enjoyed it a lot. Like, I'm a pretty notorious LeBron fan. You know, I like to to have the the goat conversation and argument. So this was fun. But like, I, I too, I mean, argument I, anymore is cool. You already admitted, but whatever, it's all good. This documentary doesn't change that anymore conversation. But I, I like that element. It was really fun um, to understand MJ a little deeper than we kind of have in the past or, or before this. We got to know a lot about him. Uh, and one thing that I think I kind of went in, and I think they pulled it out in the beginning, that MJ was kind of like – a jerk to a lot of people. That was like a big narrative for a long time. And I know Garrison's pushed back on that a little bit, like it wasn't that big of a deal or whatever. But, you know, I think we also learned that MJ, I'm going to two-part this. MJ was a good dude, like uh, to his friends and to his family. Like he cared about people. Uh, he cared about his his 
his family ties. His mother was clearly with him a lot of his, and they didn't really talk about that very much, which it is interesting because he clearly loves his family a lot, but also they kind of didn't interview his family. And I really wish his daughter and two sons would have been on it more because they were great in the, was it the last or both of the last? They were so yeah. fun to listen to their perspectives and just like their tidbits. I wish we could have got them as much as we got, you know, some of the other people throughout the whole documentary. I know they tried to really balance who all they interviewed, but those were people every day seeing him, even though, yeah, cause they they're, they were young during his like time. And I thought that was awesome. I do think one thing about celebrity status is that your priorities do have to be straight though. And uh, that's my only critique to Jordan. It's not that he was like some jerk, but I think sometimes he put basketball a little bit higher than people. And I think sometimes that, you know, punching Steve Kerr in the face uh, was seems a little bit, you know, a little too far. Um, and I think I think everyone nice. in the documentary kind of agreed with that. It's OK to make mistakes. But like I think Jordan sometimes put basketball just a little bit, a little bit above. And that's not a bad thing. That's just that that's kind of what fueled him. But I know for me, I try to look at that and say, like, I want to prioritize other things in my life even if it makes me make a little less money or win a little bit less, like that's important. But one thing I do want to touch in on, um, you said that it, it, it took a long time to green light this. Rumor has it, what ESPN was saying this week is that it wasn't until the 3-1 Cavaliers comeback in 2016, that's when Jordan said, let's do the documentary. And so the narrative wow. is starting to shift that that LeBron was at least putting himself into a conversation that hadn't previously existed. And so he said, let's shut uh, this down because there's going to be some guys on a podcast in five years talking about this, this shut it down. It's impossible now. In reality, the Lakers are the favorite to win the finals right now. We got some years left on this man's career. So we're going to see what uh, that kind of holds. But um, yeah. So, like, I, I really enjoyed it. My only critique is I wish I would have seen his kids a little bit more and his wife and his mom, uh, ex-wife, I think. But the uh, that would have been fun to, like, catch some of those, like, nuances. Because seeing into someone's life like that, who's uh, since basketball has kind of remained quiet. Now, he did say, and I will say this one last thing, he did say in his thing um, he wants to play some he, – he could beat Hornets players in one-on-one. I would love to yeah. see MJ try to beat Mikel Bridges in one on one. That's a that's a eleven to nothing Bridges, but you know whatever. Uh, this man is old. <laughs> it is it is not eleven to nothing. Chill. I mean, if if Mike gets the ball, he, he get blocked. He all right. No. <laughs> Bro, come on. All right, we can move on. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not an MJ fan. I'm a Nick fan, bro. And I'll when it comes back to me, I'll get into that. I'm not no MJ fan, but MJ would get a bucket, bro. Come on. I, I will say from from just a a pure um like film uh perspective I, I it's very interesting how like there was so much like excitement and anticipation kind of built up in me for a finale in which I already knew how it was going to end right like I knew he was going to get this last uh, this last championship that that sixth ring we knew how it was going to go down we knew we were going to get some insight on the blue game but even as they're retelling these moments it's just, I'm like in awe and like while I'm watching it it's almost as if I forgot um, um, that like this was a reality like this actually happened and that I think was probably one of the more uh, interesting things for me in which I thought was 
the way they were able to tell this story, even though we knew all of the information, or for the most part, we knew most of how it went, I thought was very profound. And that shows like a lot of, um, a lot of talent to be able to tell that kind of story in, you know, a, a mini series for the most part. So kudos to the people who pulled that off. Very impressive, very impressive. That's good. I mean, there is a lot to talk about in terms of putting uh, balls through hoops that I know for a fact. We put in comments, breakdowns. If I'm being honest, if I'm being honest that week I, am, 90s like, I, like NBA. To, I like going to basketball games and I like going to live games and I enjoyed Space Jam. So there are some connections I have to the sport of of the thing and the bouncing and the throwing. But I'm curious, though, I mean, had, how has this um, documentary inspired you guys in terms of what you're passionate about, in terms of what goals you're pursuing? Has this kind of recontextualized how you want to go about achieving these lifelong goals? Math, that's a really good question, Jordan. And I think... Um, so I'll, I'll, say, I'll say two quick things. I'd say um, the first thing for me personally, so I'll contextualize this by saying that Michael Jordan taught me what heartbreak felt like in sports, you know, you know, being a Knicks fan, um, because, you know, I grew up vividly remembering some of those battles in the in the mostly it was the first three P early 90s. Uh, with the Bulls and the Knicks. I was a young buck and, you know, watching it with my pops and um, just seeing like the hurt and the pain and the agony in his eyes. Like they talked about in particular, the 93 conference semifinal series. And I actually went back, uh, you know, on YouTube and watched some of the games from those series. And kind of like Adrian was saying, you know, I know that, you know, all right, they're about to win this joint in seven. But reliving these key moments in games where it was like, man, it could have it could have just so just as easily went the other way, you know, like in that moment. And my boy Pat Ewing, the warrior, the lion, could have got his ring. And it's just like it's just reliving that that young heartbreak, bro. You know what I mean? And you you think about the the athletes careers that were just so drastically altered because of MJ, you know, and, and that's one of the other things you have to think about and wrestle with when you think about his legacy, because it's guys like Ewing, like uh, Barkley, like Malone and Stockton, um, like Reggie Miller. And they talked about Reggie a lot, you know, with, from the, with the 98 series, um, which really, which could have definitely gone the other way. That was probably the closest the Bulls came to, to actually losing. Um, all those people being ringless, you know, because they were just, you know, in the Jordan era, you know what I mean? And other than, you know, a year and a half where he wanted to play baseball, you know? And so I, I just think that um, what it reminded me, then the second thing um, was just how to lean into adversity and, and using it to motivate you. That's the, that's another big thing. Um, one of the things the filmmaker talks about that, that they weren't able to include is that, um, um, just how much of Jordan's work ethic and motivation he actually got from his father. They, they talked about how um, it got to a point where their house was too small for him and his siblings. And so 
James Jordan just said, all right, I'm going to tear off the roof and build a second story. And he just did it. You know what I mean? And he said that while he was doing that, MJ would help him out and would watch him. And he said that uh, when his father was doing his construction work, he'd actually stick his tongue out. And so that's the reason why MJ sticks his tongue out playing basketball because he observed he observed his father saying that, you know, he observed his father saying to him and his family that this house is too small, so I'm just going to make it bigger. You know, we're not going to yeah. find some other house. I like this house. It needs to be built or I'm just going to do it, you know, and and how that instilled in him this, you know, take no prisoners, not take no for an answer mentality. And so that's definitely what's going to stick with me um, going forward. I mean, there's lots of things, but, the, but that's, those are the main takes, takeaways for sure. Yeah, I mean, honestly, same thing, Mix. I mean, I could just like kind of leave it there. Like MJ's mentality, his desire to win no matter what. Honestly, that's why I can't really blame him for being a jerk to people because you have one job and it is to win. And for him, that was the bottom line. I I mean, honestly, that's good energy. It is good energy. It's really like his ability to just like, he's singular in his vision. And if you're getting on board with this, like that's what we're doing. This is, you signed up for this. I didn't ask you to be a basketball player. You wanted this, so now let's do it. And like he said, I mean, you know, if you think he was he was a tyrant, you probably never won anything. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to push back on that a little bit because we see another guy that's put himself into this conversation. And I'll just say there's a reason MJ doesn't want us to look into all of these things about his life as to where I guarantee you that LeBron would say, bring it on. I have, I have, I have pushed my life to this point where I am not only a, a killer winner, but I'm also a person that cares about individuals. And so I'm not saying that Jordan was some trash person, anything like that. But I do think when you put it as your top priority, then you're treating not only your teammates but like everybody a little bit better. And I think that's a good thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. Okay, I agree with that to an extent. I, I can't really argue with you on that. But I will say, this is why I think MJ's the GOAT. I don't think anybody who has been the greatest at anything has been a well-adjusted human being. You can't be a well-adjusted person and the greatest at something. You, you can be, like, really, really good, and you can be, like, like, really great and all that stuff. But, like, the greatest, those people have something off, in my opinion. Those people have something off up here. Like, MJ, watching the way he would, like, open hand slap somebody for, like, missing a layup. Like, there's something off there. And, like, yeah. I agree that, like, LeBron James is actually, like, a fairly well-adjusted human being. I mean, like, he is able to do, like, a lot of things, and he's, like, really great in a lot of different areas. And I think it shows because he his, his finals record just will never align with NJ's finals record. Like, his playoff performance. There were years, years where LeBron James was making decisions in the playoffs that we all knew was just like, bro, why are you why are you doing that? You know, like you have the ability to take over and you're not, you know. So like for me, yeah. I think that mentality is what sets him apart in a good way, but I can also agree that it's what sets him apart in some like less than healthy ways.
Yeah, that's fair. So I'm curious. Uh, but actually, Mike, did you want to say something? I feel like you have some words on your tongue. Well, I, just two quick things. Number one, to Logan's point, I think the I think the gambling you know narrative is something that needs its its entire own documentary like that. Oh, because, true. Because the gambling it actually, it's, yeah, it's it's just really. I, I'll say this, like, I'm obviously I'm not accusing MJ of anything, but it's really hard for me to believe that a dude that's that competitive, that was, that was gambling multiple thousands of dollars on golf when that dude's pretty trash at golf, let's be honest, that yeah. he wouldn't bet on himself to win some NBA games. I, I just, you know. <laughs> no, that retirement was I, not about baseball. I, I have, I have no. Baseball. You know, I have no truth over facts, Trump information, but I'm just saying, <laughs> like, that's just weird to me, bro. It's okay on the we're, 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 we're captivating a conspiracy world now, man. <laughs> I don't know, bro. <laughs> Your fact, Donnell, Nick's Tate. But um, on the on the flip side of that, um, 2011 really hurts LeBron. I'm just gonna leave it there. It's to G's point. It's bad, bro. Bad. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that works against him. I think that works against him the most because the uh, some of the other finals losses are a little bit more explainable. That one's tough. Bro. 07, 07, we can we just ignore that one. It's yeah, 07 is just like that was a test run. You feel me? Yeah. I mean, he he was playing with like who, like Mo Williams or somebody. I don't even know, bro. No Gauss, no Gauss, yeah, that don't count. This, yeah. That got brought up on ESPN this year, where where 2011 took LeBron from possible to out of it. But then a lot of people have said, but his rescindance after that was something we've never seen anyone do. Typically, when you see a person kind of dwindle in that scenario, that's their career. Mm -hmm. They kind of continue. And then he went to eight straight finals. Mm -hmm. And it was like, yeah. and he put him, and he, and he amassed some of the best finals performances of all time in those next. And so I agree. That is a thing, but I will I will argue that 2010 playoffs against the Celtics and then 2011 were the first two times that LeBron actually faced um, some sort of mental adversity in his entire career. As to where Jordan kind of had a different path to it, he got drafted earlier. Yeah. He got didn't make his high school team. Like he kind of wasn't. LeBron was crowned as a 16 year old, and and yeah. he was like given this terrible now this isn't a back and forth argument of lebron versus mj but like i think some of those narratives you know the the adversity the mistakes you make they either got to make you stronger or make you weaker lebron and jordan i think they both would agree that their adversity made them stronger for sure bill russell go no larry you gotta log off my friend we're not gonna do that <laughs> Teams. Uh, he averaged 18 points a game for his career. The dude is. Uh, we're oh, not going. We're not going to do this. Logan dragging the old school NBA stuff. We just. I'm not. I don't have. Make, the, make Andrew beat, my friend. We, Logan, we should release those texts. We went back and forth for like four hours, bro. Talking bro, about those. Oh my NBA. lord! Yeah, I put y'all on mute, yo. I couldn't do it. I'm going to bed. <laughs> oh man! Shout out to Larry. Jordan, to to your your second question about about um things that you can apply to like our own lives um i think one thing that really stood out to me was how they made an effort to show how mj was always present in the moment right it it is like game six game seven on the line 
And like this guy is in the back of the bus, like dancing with his headphones in, right? Like he's he's like in the moment, like he's dapping up his security guards, he's chilling with them, making jokes in the locker room. I feel like if I was in that position, the only thing on my mind was what is tomorrow going to look like? Am I going to be a failure or will I have a championship? And tomorrow is something that like I would have always been thinking about throughout that entire game and would have potentially resulted in me second guessing every decision possible while I was playing. And that I think was probably the most profound part for me was uh, the the value and just like being in the, being present in the moment and not trying to look too far ahead or be hyper proactive to the point where you are not there experiencing how great this moment is right now. And that I think might be the most applicable part of that documentary that I can apply. Yeah, I agree. And I'll, and I'll just say, I think the one thing I learned is that um, people watch you. You know, we're talking about something from the 90s that's coming out in video mm-hmm. form. Yeah, people see you. They, they, they'll, they'll look back and like, I think I have to think through that because, you know, sometimes I'm not always making the decision of thinking through like, not only how will this affect how people view me, but how will this affect how um, I I like navigate the world? You know, people care about how I interact with them. And like, I want people to know that they matter to me and kind of keep going on for that. But yeah, it's, there's a lot of good takeaways from that, I think. But. Very good. So uh, we have one more thing we just want to talk about. And uh, that is uh, reopenings during the COVID-19 pandemic. Some states have reopened, others have not as of yet. And it really is just a whirlwind of, I don't know, decisions here that are good, decisions there that are bad. And Garrison is someone that I know has a perspective on this. And Garrison, why don't you start us off? What is your response? Or you can even give us the background on what's been going on with this, uh, with these reopenings. Yeah, man. So the, the reopening conversation is kind of crazy. And I have members who are calling me like, hey, pastor. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying <laughs> When are we getting back in the building, you know? We miss worshiping together. Like, I get be, care- it. be careful. Be careful. I know, right? I can't do the voices too hard. Like, I get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I really, really do understand that we want to just, like, in- enjoy each other's company. But we want to do so safely. And I happen to be on calls with other pastors and honest, honestly, um, many of them are like, we've already started or like, we're about to start real soon and we want to get in. But then there's also like the messaging that like, tell your, tell members that it's not really safe to come out yet. And, and so it's a, it's interesting and, and it doesn't help that it's of course polarized along um, partisan line. So I guess my my question to you all is when would you feel safe to go back to church knowing that like Sister Smith is going to give you a real wet kiss on the neck and everybody wants to like shake hands and hug. But you would never do that. And then of course there's potluck and everybody's using the Oh no potluck. No. Like, Like uh, not for a long time, uh, <laughs> bro. It, 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 we got. Um, I feel like I'm we got to be, be honest with you. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead, Smart. Go ahead. I'm just gonna say, I'm gonna be honest with you. 
I'm not going to feel completely comfortable until a vaccine is delivered. Facts. And I'm going to be honest. I think I'm, I'm going to be good. Stay. I'm, I'm so used to staying at home and watching church. I can do that in my sleep. So if I got to do that for the foreseeable future or for a long time, I'm not going to do it. I'm sorry. I ain't getting sick. I'm not coughing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I'd agree. I think the only... I know there's some churches, like for example, we're we're obviously as it stands right now, we're planning to have students come back in the fall in person, and so one of the things that they're talking about, well, first of all, there's not going to be like large gatherings and things of that nature, but one of the things we've talked about is even for our smaller gatherings, um, you know, having obviously a smaller amount of people having folks spread out, obviously wearing masks, that kind of a thing. Some churches have talked about going to more services. So, uh, which is going to be taxing on pastors, but I've heard some talk about having three, even four services, which you, you know, if even with that, you're going to have to have church members opt into selecting a service because, you're still going to be this whole, oh, all right, I'm going to come at 1145 just because that's when I that's that's when the spirit comes down. And if I don't come at 1145, it's not church. So I think, you know, it, it's going to be a minute, bro. It really is going to be a minute, I think. But not to feel like safe and comfortable in it when we're on the other side of a vaccine, for sure. Yeah, some people, I will say super quick. And, sorry, super quick, at least in Maryland, uh, we've like went down, we've like lessened the severity of the restrictions. And for churches, it's 50% capacity with protocols, social distancing and stuff like that. So yeah. to Mike, I can understand how they could do multiple services to accommodate that kind of restriction. Yeah, like we've been thinking yeah, that the multiple service thing at my church where like we've essentially assigned everyone to like an A, B, C or D list. And then we rotate that list at different times and to ensure but at the end of the day, like people not catching coronavirus during the sermon, they're catching it in the lobby. They're catching it after, you know, like, you know, so it, it, like no matter what we do, the time of risk is outside of our control. Yeah. No, that's a, the conversation now. I happen to, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna out, but um, close family members attend, like the church that some of my family members attend. Um, they opened up last week and, uh, I mean, that's kind of the reality of it is first of all, first and foremost, I will make this like tweetable statement that if you want church to reopen, uh, even with the safety being a concern, you have struggled to be the church for a while and, uh, you're Mm. more interested in going to, to attend a church instead of actually being the the church for people. But, um, uh, on the other hand, you know, I, I know some people happened to that attended a service and they said, first of all, the people didn't follow any guidelines. They the only mm. guidelines they followed were, were the forced that when the the, uh, the roads were blocked off, like you couldn't sit in a row that was blocked off. But other than that, in the lobby, like mom said that people from neighboring churches that didn't open yet. I said it. Oops. Um, that came. They were like almost making a political statement to be like like wanting handshakes, like, hey, shake my hand. And, and yeah, that's people were like, yeah. nah, they're like fist bumping, like, nah, like elbow, nah, like let it. 
So the reality is the people that are going to go to church when this opens up too early are the people that haven't been worrying about this at all. And you're mm -hmm. endangering the demographic that's going to get sick, which is the majority of our members, because I know for me, it's, it's really hard to tell my grandma and her husband, like, don't go to church right now. It's dangerous. They're in their 80s. They're like, oh, it'll be fine. They opened up. They would know if it's safe or not. And I think a, a pastor from the Baptist Fellowship in Chicago made a great point. And he said, look, until the the uh, state mansions for the governors to start opening up, until the White House starts opening up, until politics starts opening up, right. why would we pretend like they care about us? We need to follow their, not their recommendations for what we do, but for actually looking at what they do as a decision. And uh, I'm not saying that the White House makes the best decision, but like kind of chiming in to say, when are they going to let people back in? That's when we know it's like maybe actually safe. But. Yeah, and, and Doc, Dr. Fauci does a great job at um, at mentioning that like we've, we've never really experienced anything like this before. The, 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 the way this is transmissible to in, in such a vast uh, fashion where where it, it can go from one person and all they have to do is just be in close proximity and it could spread to five or ten people and then those ten people spread it to like another ten people. That I think is what makes this so intimidating. Um, and I I think it really, like you said, Logan, it it, it touches on something that. Um, is very self-revealing to many of the people that were already on board or not on board because as as you've seen we we've seen people that um thought that you know i'm bored and therefore the social distancing does not apply anymore and and i think that that's part of the frustration where it's like listen we we have to get over the fact that sometimes our comfortability has to 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 drop down a notch when it comes to other people in their lives, and I think because we've we've been in America for so long, and there's a lot of privilege that that comes with it in certain perspectives. Um, individualism is very hard to shake when we're living in in a season where we have to depend on other people, or people are depending on us. And that I, I don't think America has ever really wrestled with something like this on this fashion. And that's what we're, we're seeing in a lot of these churches and a lot of people. And it, it's frustrating to see because it's people's lives, man. But it's like, I don't, I don't know how to shake that out of someone's like psyche. <laughs> you know. Exactly. Nice. No, I mean, it's real. Exactly. I think, um, you know, it's, it's kind of to a couple of you guys' points, the, the fact that we're getting to the place now where, like, following the health guidelines or not is turning into, like, a personal political statement. Um, it's probably a thing I'm the most concerned with just in getting back to um, anything close to, like, a reopening. It's just like you just have those people that they just feel like it's their moral and american right to you know do it's like that costco video i think i texted you guys it's going all over twitter uh, oh i thought i was in america and it's like well i think you're gonna have to leave the store 
because you yeah. have to have a magic in order to be in the store, period. You know, and it's just like and he says yeah. the thing though about that clip is he says, This guy's taking my stuff from me. I'm like, You didn't buy that stuff, bro. Like, that is not yours. You have no ownership of those <laughs> items. Exactly. You're in his store, like Next. so I that that's just you know, hopefully we can get past that, but but I don't know. We'll have to see as this develops um, over the weeks. I do have to say, I aside from the video you sent me, Mike, I saw two other videos of sad, wow. sad to say of white people getting upset because they don't want to wear masks in stores and the stores turning them away. So frankly, I'm glad that there's so much consistency for a lot of these stores to protect people. And yo, just just put some cloth on your face, and everybody's happy. So now we are going to transition into PMI. That means we're almost at the end of our show. But PMI is peak my interest. It's where we share a book, TV show, movie, um, podcast, anything, piece of music even, anything that has piqued our interest this week and that we would love to share with all of you. We're going to start with Garrison, and then Logan will follow. And please make it snappy if you guys could. Thank you. Okay. All right. As quick as possible. Um, <laughs> When I was a little boy, I'm just kidding. Um, so yeah. <laughs> um, this week's my the thing that piqued my interest is a super, super, super dope conversation that took place yesterday evening. Like you gotta go back and watch it. We shared it to the oh, interaction page, but it's this say her name event. They were talking a bit about Brianna um, Taylor talking about intersectionality. And it had Danny Bernard, who we had here on Affirmative Interaction, had my wife, Simone Marshall-Hayes, um, but it was led by Claudia Allen and Tiffany Llewellyn. They were the hosts. And honestly, it was an amazing conversation. Like, they call out the fact that, like, there's so many things happening that are, like, all men, like, events and, like, evangelism yeah. and weeks of prayers. So, like, I was just telling the group, I've been feeling, like, a little self-conscious, like, the today that we don't have, like, women on and stuff and it's it's a good it's a great reminder of the need yeah. to like think intentionally about that and and um just an amazing conversation like beyond that point there are so many nuggets in there about justice and the women who have led and fought for justice you gotta watch it if you haven't watched it you're missing out and you're lame and i don't like it very yeah. good very good very good facts <laughs> thank you Harrison. i do want to ask is this an ongoing series that they're doing or was it one-time engagement you know i i put in the comments like yo you, you guys got to do this again and i think she said that she heard that a few other times so so maybe we'll see uh and i'm speaking specifically about one of the hosts tiffany llewellyn i really hope it's an ongoing thing like yeah. maybe like give them our page and let like just one here or something like it was amazing it was amazing Thanks. yeah it was really good um i guess that's me thank you Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, this yeah. week I, I decided to kind of change how I intake news a little bit. And I went from just like watching, you know, my Apple News or like reading. And I just went ahead and bought the New York Times and the New Yorker. And uh, those were those are kind of uh, news outlets that I enjoy. A lot of the authorship, I feel like I get a broad base. Now, some people probably don't like those news outlets. I don't really care about your opinion on this. Um, but it's something, <laughs> no offense, uh, but I just spent a dollar a month. So, like, I got a, I got stake in this. 
Um, and so, uh, yeah, so I guess I'm shooting this as a recommendation. It's really nice to not have to limit my New York Times eight times a month uh, articles to read. Um, my unemployment check came in, so I was like splurging a little bit, spoiling myself, you know, uh, with that $1 a month subscription or a week or whatever it is, $4. Um, so, yeah, uh, just enjoyed that, being able to put it on my home screen and pop up New York Times to kind of get a better um, detailed look at some of the, the news that I get about different things. And, and they actually helped lead some of the Obamagate conversation that I was able to, to share with you all today. So just enjoying that. Uh, some different perspectives on how I take my news and paying for news is valuable because these things are going to disappear if we uh, don't support them in some way financially. But two years. Very good. Uh, Mike, could you go next for us, please? Thank you for sharing, Logan. Sure. Just give me one second. This guy going to share his screen or something. No, I'm not actually, but it's cool. <laughs> boy sound, that boy sounds a little salty, don't he? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm actually gonna put a link in the the comments, and I'll I'll uh, post it to the screen too, real quick, as I, as I do this slightly. But it's actually kind of intersects with a um, the conversation we had last week. I think it was Mark Cambiarte. Shout out to Mark. As we were talking about um, the the Ahmad Arbery Brianna Taylor situation, and I think in the past we talked about the protest happening at the um, at the Capitol here in Michigan and in other states and whatnot. Um, and when I replied to his comment with this video, but but here's the link in the comments for all our viewers, and I'd encourage you all to check it out as well. I think I text you all about it, but. Um, it's by Jordan Klepper, who's a part of The Daily Show. Um, he started a, a separate show called Klepper, which I haven't seen a lot of the full episodes. I'm going to I'm gonna buy this episode in particular and watch it. But what the link I put in here was actually, actually just a video podcast interview he had with the co-host that did um, an investigative report on... Um, protesting for firearms use. And he looked at a an all-white group that was doing it and an all-black group that was doing it. And the differences in how that was that's received, it's this, I forget what's community, but it's a community in the South. And so mm -hmm. Jordan goes to a rally with the initial group and then his co-host, who happens to be black, goes with the with the black group. Um, and it's just really interesting the the ways that those protests are received, how law enforcement responds to those protests. And mm -hmm. um, because there's been a lot of conversation, even in the wake of the Ahmaud Arbery scenario, talking about, uh, well, he should have been armed or, or black folks need to think about arming themselves. And that gets me just a little bit, you know, queasy and just a little nervous for a number of reasons. But this episode's a good deep dive into why some of those complexities do exist. So I'd encourage you all to check it out for sure. Cool. Definitely. Thank you so much, Michael. Um, and you said the show was named was Klepper. Is that on uh, Comedy Central? It's on Comedy Central. If you want to just stream it, it's available on Amazon Prime Video. That's where I'm going to check it out. Um, mm -hmm. But if you have Comedy Central, I'm sure you can find it archived or something. Oh, dope. Gotcha. All right, perfect. Adrian, could you go next first, please? Yes. So um, this is something that did pique my interest in the past, and I've kind of revisited it. Um, it is the podcast 1619, 
um, something that was very profound on my life. And what this, uh, I guess, mini series does, it really shows through a very uh, personal and historical lens of how um, the America we've come to know and love um, was really founded on uh, slavery. And that is where the date 1619 kind of comes from. And the different episodes touch on the, the different uh, uh, pieces of the uh, American uh, society that we know, whether it is the economical structure or the music that we've learned that started things with, with uh, you know, jumping Jim Crow and the blackface and how that spread into other areas and how we got Birth of a Nation, which was like the first motion picture um, that had to do with Klansmen, you know, and, and you had presidents that were just like raving about it. And, and it, it really shows that in so many areas, if you were to look back and try to pinpoint the origin of different things that Americans love, you will find some racial tension that is connected to it. And um, I always just have found that very fascinating. Uh, we just dropped the link in the, uh, in the comments there. Please check it out. Uh, this is my second time kind of going through it and it's, it's fascinating to see just how, um, how, how um, inspired and informed I am even the second go around. So definitely something that I think you guys should check out for sure. Appreciate that, that sounds good. For sure. Definitely. Um, so to close out, I'm gonna share what Keep Minds this week. And it's actually been this uh, show on HBO called Betty, which has been really good to me so far. This whole quarantine has just been super interesting to be able to watch just various shows that are starring women, created by women from the female perspective. And this one is in that same vein. Essentially, it's about female skateboarders in New York City. And it's so interesting seeing how you know sexuality, femininity, you know, plays into a sport that is so stereotypically, you know, dominated by men. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, right. what the story and the show, excuse me, covers. So I'll definitely recommend it if you have HBO. I loved it. And we love all of you for tuning in to Affirmative wait, 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 Interaction. Wait, wait, one second. Dro drop your yeah. HBO login in the comments for the people. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jordan, I want to like, tag on to that, though. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting watching some of these shows that are created or, or parts that are written by women. It's so different than the things that we've seen historically with women in them, but written by men. Like, men yeah. don't, mm -hmm. like, they don't get like women yep. and the same way. And it's funny that we, it's been an ongoing joke forever where it's like men trying to understand women is like an impossible task. But we've been trying. We've been forcing ourselves to do it for so long. It's like, why haven't we just passed the the baton or the microphone or the the script writing? And so it's really, I, I enjoyed that show as well. So far, it's really interesting to see that. We've seen it happen a few times, but it's really. I hope that keeps continuing because I love that perspective that I don't get. Just because a woman's there, it doesn't. Just because a, a person of color is there, doesn't mean it's from their perspective and it's super mm -hmm. valuable. That's so true. That's a good point. Thank you for saying that, Logan, because. I have to say one of the first things I always look at when I am watching this show that is starring women in, in, a, in a lead role is if it was created, directed, or I think most importantly, written by a woman. 
So that's definitely something to keep in mind when we're exploring media starring women. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming to Affirmative Interaction. We're so happy that you guys joined us. We'll be back next week with another topic, another episode, and some more time discussing important things and uh, shooting the breeze during quarantine. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week. Well, a quick teaser for next week. We're going to talk about the N-word. Oh, I love that word. Let's say it right now. One, two, three. No.